0: It. Uh, Our publisher put out a like, it's a really nice gift um, faux leather uh, Psalms and Proverbs. I'm going to give this to Is there a Carla here? Carla, okay. Lord gave me your name. (laughs) Stay right there just for a second because the Lord's going to bless you immensely. He's going to anoint you with supernatural grace to do something that looks impossible right now, but God is putting you into a position where you're going to do. Uh, exploits for Jesus Christ. And um, you are like a Deborah. You are a prophetess. You are hearing things from God. You are dreaming. You're seeing. Do not discount what God is giving to you. Don't devalue it, and don't let other people devalue it, because you're very, very precious to heaven. Bless my daughter, Carla, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay. So, uh, tonight I think we're going to do some um, Song of Songs. But today I want to finish up, I want to talk some more about David. What does David's name mean? To boil over. It comes from a root word that means, da, da, dodi is the, the the root word that means to boil over. Now, uh Passionate would be my definition of David. Uh, beloved, you can say his name means beloved. Isn't that sweet? It's really nice. But uh, he's a lot more than that. He is passionate. Everything about David was radical. He conquered the Jebusites where nobody else could conquer the stronghold of the Jebusites. Uh, anybody know the story? of the Jebusites, when you come to Israel with me in October, I'll take you to the water shaft, because David came inside the stronghold of the Jebusites, he climbed up through the water shaft, he and a handful of men, and I'll show you that water shaft, and it's unbelievable, you won't believe anybody could ever get up there, but he did, and he popped up inside the Jebusite stronghold, he killed, conquered them, and formed the city of Jerusalem, so Jebus means stronghold, Jerusalem, city of peace. So David conquered the territory that, that became Jerusalem. There'd be no Jerusalem if it wasn't for David. David is the most important historical figure in Israel. Perhaps, you know, Moses giving the law, but David bringing the presence and the, and the purpose of God for the, for the, uh, the Jewish people. So I'm, I'm like infatuated with David. I, I want to see a number of people in heaven. My mom's there. My, I got my brother there. And, of course, I have Jesus there. When I'm done with some of that, I'm, looking, I'm going to David's house. I want to talk with him. I want to meet with him and hang a little bit with David because I really think, you know, he, he is one of the most awesome examples of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David. But Bethlehem, and I will take you there when you come with me. Did I mention you're coming with me this October to Jerusalem, to Israel? We have six seats left. Um, I'll tell you what, you sign up to go to Israel at this conference, I'll give you a signed leather edition Bible, okay, if we have any left. (laughs) (laughs) On the book table. How's that? I'm trying to make it easy for you. (coughs) But um, what was I saying? Something good about David. Yeah, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, (laughs) Bethlehem uh, is a homonym, okay, you can't get around me very long without hearing the word homonym, okay, a homonym, let me help you with this, a homonym is a word that has multiple meanings, but is pronounced the same, so English has lots of homonyms, bank can be the side of a river, or it can be where you put your money, C can be the ocean, sight, and the letter C. So English has a number of homonyms where the words are unrelated in meaning. The only thing connecting them is the phonetic sound. Bet lehem bet is house. Lahem means what? Bread that's one of the meanings. What if there's another meaning to Lahem that was what? confused Israel when Jesus came. Lahem is the Hebrew word warrior. It's the house of warriors. Uh, It's really not a good place for wheat to grow wheat if you've been to rocky hills of Bethlehem, um, but it is a place where warriors come. Even to this day, it's West Bank. We have to go through a checkpoint just to get in there, but it's not dangerous. I'll bring you out alive, I promise. But Lahem, warrior, So Jesus, the greatest warrior, they expected somebody born in Bethlehem, ooh, what's your name? Sarah, Sarah, be blessed in Jesus' name. I prophesy blessing over you. He that gives a speaker a cup of caramel macchiato in Jesus' name shall be blessed. Thank you. I love it. So... uh, A thousand years after David died, in Acts 13, God still calls him a man after my own heart. That's fascinating. And, you know, people think about his deal with Bathsheba, and, and that disqualified him and blah, blah, blah. It did not, because David wrote the book on repentance. It's called Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 and Psalm 6, and, and the penitential psalms that he wrote, where he really poured his heart out to God. I mean, uh, it it shattered David when he realized how wrong he was and what he had done, and God esteemed him for that. Would you like to be a person after God's heart that really finds the heart of God? I think David points the way, and I think it's real important that, that when you think of Jesus, He's the son of David. He is of the lineage of David. And the genealogies that we have in Matthew 1 and Luke <coughs> Luke 3, yeah, Luke 3, that those genealogies all tie in to David. So I want you to turn your Bible to Zechariah 12, verse 8. And if you take a moment to find it, then I can drink my caramel macchiato. So open your app, iPad, if you have paper, go right ahead. Ooh, that's good. If you have it memorized, you don't need to go there. Zechariah 12, verse 8. The reason why I'm, you know, why don't you just talk about Jesus? Why don't you just come to our church and just talk about Jesus? Dude, I'm talking about Jesus, okay? But uh, there is a David in your destiny. David is in your future. Do you see Zechariah 12, verse 8? It says, the weakest one among us shall be like who? Let me try that again. (laughs) I know it's Saturday morning, and you haven't had caramel macchiato like I am enjoying. But the weakest one among us shall become like? Boom. So the, the weakest one. Some translations frail. But it's actually one who stumbles repeatedly. And gets back up. The one who stumbled and gets back up shall be like David because David stumbled and got back up, didn't he? And this this giant killing champion named David is that DNA, that identity is gonna be in you. It's like a David company is going to arise. Like men and women anointed with David's anointing and calling are going to arise on the earth. This is why the tabernacle of David is so important, and my wife had a dream about Pastor Jim praying all night, and uh, a tabernacle of praise and and worship. I'm sure you're really glad I'm releasing that word over you here, Pastor Jim. But I I really believe a a wave of passion for prayer is going to sweep over you in this next season. That the, the meetings you won't want to miss will be prayer meetings. And that God is going to be visiting the prayer rooms. He's going to come with anointing and power into our, prayer, our dull, boring prayer meetings are going to be changed. Where well, we, you know, we don't necessarily have to play the same song for 45 minutes until we're all on the carpet. Instead, the glory is going to be coming and our intercession is going to turn the tide for Columbus and for the state of Ohio, Cleveland, Toledo. Rumor has it, Dayton. God's going to smack the cities of this, of this beautiful state with His glory. And it's going to come through the vent of prayer. So I am, as a forerunner, coming to you today. Uh, I would have preferred to have taught on other things, but the Lord gave me this clear word that you're in a new, going into a new season with a new assignment, and it will require a new identity. David was a shepherd till he killed a giant. Then he was a warrior. He had to get a new identity. And killing a giant was great, but he had to learn to be a king. He had to get a new identity. And there was, there's two places, one in Samuel, one in Chronicles, where it says David perceived that he was a king. And I'm thinking, what? This is after he killed a giant, and one-twelfth of Israel had already crowned him as king, and he didn't get it yet? And finally, David realized... His real calling, I'm a king. I think it's time you got your thing worked out. You get the king thing worked out of who you really are. Beloved, you you are next of kin to the Trinity. You're the lookalike partner of Jesus Christ. You're the radiant Shulamite lover of God. You're the one that he bled to death for. He'd rather go to hell for you than live in heaven without you. There's a fire and a passion in his eyes. Revelation 1, the fire in his eyes is not because he's mad. He's, going to, he's ticked off. He's going to kill a bunch of people on the way to his wedding. No, he, his eyes are on fire because of his bride. He's, he's in love with his bride. It's fire of passion. And so our identity has to be changed I dropped one on you last night, and I don't know if if you were really following me, but I'm going to repeat it. That there was a time David had to understand who he really was, right? There was a time Moses had to understand that he's going to leave the desert behind. He's not going to be a fugitive, you know, serving Jethro uh, out in the desert, backside of the desert. He is now going to go to Pharaoh and change the world. He had to have an identity shift. Jeremiah, he had to be told, don't say I'm a millennial. Don't say I'm a kid. God God doesn't accept any excuse. Well, I'm male, I'm female, I'm young, I'm too rich, I'm too poor. There is no excuse before Almighty God when He calls you into your kingly reign. All you do is say, yes, God, I will take what you tell me. And God calls you a mighty one long before you've ever done anything. He calls you his look-alike, radiant, flawless, beautiful partner. Well, you're still struggling through life. Don't even drive right, you know. Got a ticket last week and everything. And, and yet God calls you beautiful. So this, this identity thing of, of coming into the realization of who you truly are. I know it's a trendy teaching, and I know everybody's got their spin on it, but listen to me, you need to see that you're the look-alike partner of Jesus Christ, that you're the king in training for reigning, schooling for ruling, OJT for eternity. Don't make me keep going. You, you, are, you are being radiantly groomed for the highest level of authority and, and royalty on this planet actually in the universe. Don't you know you're going to judge angels? Don't you realize we're sons, they're servants? Servants are higher than sons. I mean, sons are higher than servants. We command the servants. Jesus called forth the angels when he was in the garden, and so we can call forth the angelic realm. I was in Atlanta so exhausted I'd just come back from uh, Australia, I think we were. Uh, We've been there two or three weeks, and the time change and the zone, and the, I no sooner I get off the plane, I'm doing this conference, hundreds of people there, and, and I go the first night and did my best. I got back to the room where I was staying. It was an upstairs room in a home, and I was so exhausted. I didn't call an angel, but I had one come. I mean, I was so exhausted. I, I like, bone dead, I, like, I just soon quit Exhaust. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I said, God, you got to help me. And I fall asleep on bed, and and I'm feeling in the middle of the night somebody waking me up, and it's a nine-foot angel, barely fit in the A-frame ceiling of that upper room. This shining, gleaming angel of heaven waking me up, saying, stand, little man. And I stood, and and he said, I've come from God to strengthen you. And I hugged him. My head up at his belt, and I hug him, literally, the strength of Almighty God came into me. Man, that was a hot conference. woo I outlasted all the, all the guys. Man, I, they had to pry the microphone out of my hand. We have authority. Now, even Jesus, it's my contention... That even Jesus had to have an unveiling. He had to have a time when he saw who he really was. When did Jesus know, I'm talking about Jesus on earth, when did Jesus know that he was God, that he was God the Son? That is quite a question. We, We need to answer that. We need to think about it. It wasn't when he was in Mary's womb. It wasn't squiggling as an embryo. He didn't know nothing. He's a human being. He was God funneled into a womb. Excuse me. Bless you. He was God Almighty that had become an embryo. When did he know he was God? I don't think it was when he was crawling. I don't think it was when he was nursed by his mother Mary. I don't believe it was when he was a toddler, playing perhaps with other kids in Nazareth. There had to come a time when Jesus perceived he was God. When was it? At his baptism, he was declared to be the Son of God. This is my son, remember, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came upon the Lamb. And it was a public, uh, uh, lambs had to be washed publicly before they could be offered at sacrifice. So Jesus was publicly washed. This is why it sa- He said it, we must do this to, be, to fulfill all righteous requirements. So we know at His baptism He knew He was God because the voice made it clear. Everybody could hear it. But at 12, this unusual account Of all the things of Jesus' life, there's one snippet, one episode of his life included in the Gospels, and it was Jesus in the temple. Remember, Uh, Mary and Joseph had gone on, headed back to Nazareth. Jesus was nowhere to be found. They finally searched for a couple of days, and Jesus was like teaching the rabbis. He was instructing them in the temple. He was fascinating them with the revelation God had poured into him. And he said, I have to be in my father's house doing my father's business. So we know at 12, Jesus knew he was God. Somewhere between birth and 12 years of age, Jesus had an unveiling. Jesus had an experience of of God himself unveiling who he really is. Now, the very first verse of the book of Revelation, I know I'm repeating myself, You get old, you can do that. But the very first verse of the book of Revelation, the Lord told me years ago when I was working on the book of Isaiah, I I wrote a a commentary. Don't buy it. It's not that good. Uh, We're going to revise it. But I wrote a commentary on Isaiah, and the Lord showed me when I wrote it, He said, I have put the key to every one of the books of the Bible, I have put it under the the doormat of the front door. So you lift up the doormat, and there's a key to get in, okay? And he showed me Isaiah 1.1 1, 1 was the key, that the word vision, the chazon, the Hebrew word, uh, the panoramic vision of eternity, that was the key of understanding Isaiah. And he showed me the book of Revelation. The key is at the front door. It's right there under the doormat. Lift it up and put the key in and read verse 1. It says, this is the revelation God gave to Jesus, when did God give it to him? No, uh, like I said, somewhere between birth and 12. Jesus had a revelation of who he is. The word revelation is unveiling. The last book of the Bible is unveiling. Antichrist is not unveiled. Uh, th- all this horrible judgment that's going to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, that's not what's being unveiled. It's not a roadmap into the future, it, it is a calling into the Christ like living. It's Christ emerging in us. What if the last book of the Bible, like Song of Songs, is a parable, an allegory that will unveil Christ within us? I'm wandering a little bit from my topic, but I'm going to swing back. We'll swing the wagons back. But verse 1 gives us five... uh, I'm going to use the word channel, even though I realize that's uh, uh, mistakenly a, a New Age term, but the, the five channels of communication is the Father gave to Jesus, who gave to an angel, who gave to John to give to us. The five levels of communication of Revelation 1. Most c- believers don't realize the b- whole entire book of Revelation was communicated by an angel. God gave a revelation to Jesus, and whenever you think of revelation, think of unveiling. God gave an unveiling to Jesus Christ, and that unveiling revelation was given to an angel who gave it to John, who gives it to the doulos, the loving servants. Is this fascinating? It is to me. So I have an online course, I actually have two of them on the book of Revelation, and in maybe... 25 hours, I've covered the first, four, first five chapters, so I go in deep to the book, and eventually I'm going to do one uh, in 2020, I'm going to do a course called The Four Horsemen and the Seven Seals, and the four horsemen are all Christ. I'm in debate right now with a theologian about, about this, he's, he's kind of fussing with me. Um, but I, I can prove to you that the four horsemen are Christ coming forth in four levels of His glory in the last days to bring the church into Christ's likeness. And the one that always trips everybody up is this pale green horse. Poor translation, it's not a pale green horse. It's a life green. It's grass green. It's evergreen horse. It's, li- it's death riding on life, Galatians 2.20. It's death and life. And Christ's death brings life, okay? So the revelation of Galatians 2.20 is the green, not pale green horse. And it goes back to Zechariah's vision. Zachariah had eight dreams in one night and recorded it in a book. It's called Zachariah. (laughs) Another drink and I'll get more anointed. Yeah, like Amos wrote a book called Amos. But my, my, my point that I'm trying to, the meta point I'm trying to make here on a Saturday morning is this thing about who you are, that you've got to understand the weakest person in this room is going to be a champion in the last days. There is coming a day when the one person, whoever you are, I'll qualify, I'll, I'll take it, the one person that is the weakest, the frailest, that always falls and gets back up and falls and gets back up, the stumbler, that weak one is going to rise and be like David in the last days. Yeah. So David is in your future. The David anointing is going to come upon the last days church. There's more chapters in the Bible about David than there is... Any of the patriarchs combined, and then throw in Moses on top of that, you'd be shocked to know how much of the Bible speaks about David. Even in the Book of Revelation, uh, it talks about the key of David. The key of David is not a musical note. The key of David is bending time. I could stop and explain it, or move on. Would you like me to explain it? Okay, David was a time bender. David pulled the future into the present. He. He went a 1,000 years into the future and saw an era of grace, an unveiled presence. David taught and understood and received and reveled in more grace than you know of. He's way ahead of the church. Now we're 3,000 years past David. And this man understood grace way beyond most believers today. So David bent time. He went into the future and saw a thousand years ahead of time that there will be an era where God will not be in a building. He'll not have a veil. You don't have to come through animals to come to him and the the sacrificial system and and guys with robes. He, He saw an era of God plus nothing, of an unveiled glory. Man, that coffee's good. He saw what we were living in. He bent time. He pulled it into the now. And and to prove it. Now, Gibeah, tell me if I get boring on this, but Gibeah was where Saul set up his headquarters. All right, Saul is a picture of the flesh. It's a picture of fleshly leadership, of, of leaders that do not walk in the spirit but in the flesh realm. And Saul, head and shoulders, you know, he lived in his head and shoulders realm, human strength and human wisdom. He lived in that realm. And uh, he set up headquarters on Gibeah, which meant he took the tabernacle furniture, the tent, the curtains, the 60 pillars. Um, He took the laver, the brazen altar, and he set it up on Gibeah, and and he had the, the inner Okay, he had the inner chamber called the holy place, had a veil. You go in the veil, and here's the lamp, The table of showbread over here. And over here is the lampstand. And then just in front of this massive veil is the golden altar of incense. And then you could open up the veil, and, and it was empty. There was no ark. Saul had the form, but no power. It's the church today that has the structure but none of the power. And give me the presence. You keep your order. You keep your, you know, I can trace my apostleship back to this or that. You, You can have that. I'll go for the presence. I'll just be a rebel like David and go after the presence of God because when David brought the ark, he should have taken it to Gibeah. It was already set up. This is where the headquarters was. But he hijacked God. And he brought God to his backyard. David, the key of David is to see what God's going to do a thousand years from now and live in it right now. How healthy will you be a thousand years from now? What, what, What will life be like for you? What will, you know, I can only imagine what it will be like. Then you start living it right now. Taste the power of ages to come. That is the Davidic key That God gives the last day's church, Revelation chapter 3. I will give to you the key that unlocked the treasures of eternity for David. I will give that church the key of David. Wow. I've seen some of the future, and it's pretty exciting. I don't know much, but I've seen roads. I've seen pavement that is the energy source for vehicles. The pavement itself. I've seen, I was taken into the heavenly realm, and I've sought cures for every single disease, and they're already in the books, like they're already there. Every disease, every cancer, every every illness known to man, God has answers for. I saw the doubling of the periodic table. I saw sciences that have never even been discovered yet, that I didn't even know what they were. But they're in the treasury room of heaven. I want to keep pulling those things back. I want to keep pulling it back into time with me. I brought a couple things back with me, but I want to go again and get some more. Is that all right, Man, I'm telling you guys too much. The coffee's making me talk. (laughs) You ever feel weak? You're about to kill a giant. You ever feel betrayed, disappointed? You're about to usher in the presence for an entire city to experience God. That's what David did. Uh, he, he formed a nation. David was not a tribal king. He was a, a, an epic leader. I actually was called uh, contacted by a producer that's going to be putting out a major full-length movie on David. It's going to be awesome. And he, he said, I heard you had some insights. I said, well, what are, you, what are you wanting to know? He said, well, tell me about David's upbringing. I said, well, he was probably an illegitimate child. It's believed that he was, and the, the, the producer of the movie said, we're already on that. We're already putting that in the movie. I said, it's going to be awesome because it's going to blow people away. When they think of David, they don't think of him as this insecure, rejected, 13-year-old adolescent that was out taking care of sheep and wasn't even called in and included with Jesse's sons. And he had to get an identity transplant. He had to understand who he was. And the oil of God came upon him, the sacred oil. Over and over in the Psalms, David makes mention to that sacred oil. Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. That was Samuel pouring oil on him. David may have written Psalm 23 Immediately after that encounter, because he was a shepherd when he wrote it. It was believed that Psalm 23 and Psalm 19 were written during his shepherd days. I'll probably talk about that here in a little bit after we do a morning break. But what what David experienced is what you're going through, because David is in your future, so to speak, if you'll let me say it that way, that, that David's path is the path you're on of encountering God, of getting rid of the old, and coming into a new season with a new assignment. It's okay to take care of sheep, but when the oil comes on you, now it's time to be a warrior. The lion and the bear will prepare you for the giant, and the giant will prepare you for an even greater test. The greatest test David went through was not the nine-foot giant. It was a demonized boss. It was a king that he served, and threw his javelin at him, his spear at him. And the crazy thing is David kept going back. What kind of man would do that? You're in the presence of a guy that wants to kill you. He's having like a demon fit and throws his spear at you, misses by the grace of God. You run out of the room going, wow. The next day you come back and you do it all over again. You play your harp. The anointing of David was so strong that he could pluck the strings and and the demons would run. The music anointing on David's hands, it says, he trained my hands for war, and I think some of that is a spiritual war of worship. But as he would pluck the strings of his harp, demons ran out of the room. I mean, maybe he hummed, you know, He'd, he'd worship and play and and it so set this demonized king free. But if he took a break and stopped playing, then the, the guy would get the spear and throw it all over again. Wow. You know, you're the harp of God. That There's a harp inside of your heart. You're a ten-stringed harp. Two hands to serve him. Two feet to go where he sends you two eyes to see his glory, two ears to hear his voice, a mouth to praise him, and a heart that will beat only for him. You are a ten-string instrument, and he wants to pluck you. He wants to play your very being, who you really are, not what your family says you are, not what an ex says you are, not what the last church did or said to you, not what that wicked person at work or the cruel boss may have injured you. You know, you you, you come to the place of an unveiling where Christ within you, not Christ in heaven. Stop thinking about heaven for just a bit because the heaven you've got isn't it. There's a new heaven and a new earth. God is is making all things new. Aren't you glad? Would you rather He said, behold, I make all things old. I call you old creature in Christ, singing to me an old song. My mercies are old every morning. (laughs) This this effervescent, ever-creative God is bringing the new, and the heaven that's new is not a distant beyond the stars. It's so wacky to think that. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means you can reach into it right now. It's at hand. It's close enough to reach. Yeah, I got 35, 36-inch sleeve. Uh, within 36 inches, I can pull into heaven. It's close enough to reach. I can take the intimacy I'll have in eternity. I can walk in it now. That's bending time. That's the key of David. So David releases us into this realm of seeing God differently, of living in His presence, Loving him so passionately that everybody gets nervous around you. Especially the guys when another guy starts getting ooey gooey with Jesus. They don't like it. I said, bro, get over it. God has a plan to make you more tender and loving than you ever thought you would be. I'm telling you. You're going to end up one of those old guys crying all the time or handing you hankies and Kleenex trying to share your testimony of the faithfulness of God over your 70, 80 years and how God was with you. Yeah, you'll get there. Well, go there now. Be the tenderhearted lover God created you to be. I had some of my friends that you would know their names told me, said, well, Brian, we like you and you kind of, we like your ministry and blah, 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 but you're going around and you're feminizing the church. I said what? He said, "Yeah, you you gotta make warriors. You gotta we gotta be mighty warriors." I said, "Well, amen." But Jesus isn't coming back for a husband. Dude, I ain't wearing the dress, but I'll put on the combat boots, okay? But I am his bride. I'll fight with the rest of you. We'll go to the end of time. We'll lay our lives down until we breathe our last for the glory of our king. But we're lovers, first of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Isn't that the first and greatest commandment? Why would we ever throttle back when God says more? You've been saying more. God's saying it now. More. More. I want more of that. I want more of your passion. Well, in Hebrews eleven thirty four, David is listed as one of the great faith champions, and actually, it says it's interesting. Let me read it here. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it says that out of weakness he was made strong. You see, David tapped into the to the grace that makes you strong when you're weak. Dude, I would never do anything for God if I listened to my weakness. I am as weak as they come. I'm as fickle as any man. But when God comes upon you and gives you a mission, a commission, a purpose, a a divine strategy, He gives you a calling, a mandate, a scroll and a call, you're not going to turn back. And he's done that f- to me. And I found if, if I will outlast my critics and if I will live in strength, not my weakness, if I'll borrow his life instead of trying to make mine strong and simply borrow his strength, I found that in my weakness I can be made strong. In the jungle, when our partners left us, our daughter was in a coma with a snake bite. Uh, demons encircling our hut. We lost virtually everything in a flooding canoe accident. I had only one place to go. Uh, thank God my wife, of course, always a treasure to me. But there are things that wifey can't do. Only God can strengthen a man's heart. And and to find that place oh, that David, and that's what God told me, he said my servant David encouraged himself in me. Now you do that, son. And I found the strength in my weakness. It says in Hebrews 11 that, that he, you know, he turned armies to flight, that he, he conquered alien armies. He was victor. David was one of the greatest faith champions of all the Bible. Let me give you some uh, summaries here of him, and then we'll take a short break. I want to come back and give you the five prophetic seasons of your life that you're going to walk through just like David did. First of all, David's name means boil with love or passion. Acts 13.22, he's called a man after God's heart. That was a 1,000 years after he had died. Uh, David is to spiritual leadership what Abraham is to faith. Abraham was the father of faith. I believe David is a father of spiritual leadership, and you see the way he handled criticism. You see the way he handled um, even his own son Absalom, who turned against him. Uh, David was such a, a loyal, faithful friend to Jonathan. I mean, there's so many qualities about David's life that are endearing, that are alluring. He was a winsome man. He was uh, obviously, it says that he was very uh, attractive as a youth, and uh, the women sang their songs about David, and he didn't let it go to his head. I mean, if you had all the the girls of the region singing about how cool you are, come on, and, and it not go to your head, that was David, that he understood yeah, and even when Saul tried to bribe him to marry Merab, one of his daughters, and then eventually uh, Michal, uh, Saul bribed him, and David's response was, but I'm, I'm nobody. I come from a family of nobodies. Who am I to be the son-in-law to the king? I mean, this is a guy that had thrown spears at him. This is a guy that you would not want to work in an office with, believe me. And then David says, but he he took this humble place. You see the character? You see how he's a man after God's heart? How do you handle criticism? This is, you know, does it defeat you? Does it knock you down? Or does it purify you? So the Lord showed me when he visited me that I was going to have persecution over the translation. I actually had a couple death threats over it. People that are convinced... King James Bible is the only one, and I uh, actually had to have police get involved, in one of them, it was, it was legit, and, and so and there's this nasty webpage uh, telling everybody how horrible I am, and gosh, I'm reading, I'm going, man, I wouldn't like that guy either, <laughs> and I said, Lord, what are you going to do about it? And he said, nothing. <laughs> he said, what do you want me to do about it? I said, can't you like shut it down? he said i could but i'll raise up 10 more i said well that's okay that's all right that's all right and i found in my heart the freedom to say i'm a better man and i'm a better translator when i listen to my critics so i try my best to listen to my critics i hope if you're going to be one i hope you at least know what you're talking about so don't come and tell me it doesn't really say that in the bible when in fact It does say that. Um, Study it out a little bit before you want to come and correct me about something. But how you handle criticism, come on, It, 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 it purifies our heart. It sifts our motives. And David came out of this squeaky clean. He was leaving Jerusalem, Absalom, his wayward, rebellious son, oh, gosh, kicked him out. Uh, He and and his comrades kicked David, the king. I mean, guys, David, the giant killer, the king who formed Jerusalem, and on and on we could go. And this wayward, runt kid of his thought he could pull the affection of people away from his dad. And they drove him out of Jerusalem. And as David and, I believe it was Abner, as they were uh, walking along the path, going out of the city, Shimei was up on a, a little bit of an embankment and was cursing David, you filthy dog, you're a rat, no wonder you kick you get your butt out of here, you don't belong in a city, like and throwing dust and dirt and rocks on him. Abner grabs his sword says, I'll go take care of him. David says, no, it could be God raised him up to say those things to me. That's a man of strength and security of who he really is. David was the eighth son. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's a new order that replaced Saul. We're in the era of a Saul kingdom fading. They fall on their own sword. And sadly, Jonathan. Jonathan's a picture of an ambivalence. He's a picture of a guy who wants one foot in the old. and, Well, I can stay, and I'll I'll change the church. I'll stay here, even though they you know, do gay weddings, and they do everything that I don't really believe in, and, but I'll stay here, one foot there and another foot in the river, Absalom died with his dad, fell on his sword, he didn't, even though he knew God was with David, he couldn't pull away from the old, and so like many today that see a new move on the horizon, they see a new revelation that's being unveiled, but they're so entrenched, and, and their life has been so much in the old. That they they know that a heavenly David is is emerging, but they can't pull away. That's Jonathan. Prayer and worship were the keys of David's intimacy with God. I love the Psalms. I'm actually doing an online study group for the Book of Psalms. Do I have anybody that's taking that with me? Have a few people? Yeah, taking Psalms with me. Awesome. And uh, weekly, starting Monday. Uh, I'll be teaching through the Book of Psalms online, and we send you study notes. Believe me, the study notes are going to be, when I combine them, it will be a scholarly commentary on the Book of Psalms. Uh, believe me, it's going to be extensive. Uh, the Hebrew words, the meanings of silah, and <coughs> so many different things that are in the notes. Intimacy and prayer were <coughs> keys David spent so many hours worshiping God, composing psalms. He even invented musical instruments. David was a prophet. He gazed into the heavenly throne room. David brought the Ark of Covenant back into Jerusalem. Have you done that lately? I mean, you think about David's resume. He's a superhero, man. Like Captain Jerusalem, you know. Just... He established an entire new form of worship. He didn't just compose new songs, which he did. He actually brought a whole new realm of worship that had never been seen before. They had never had this before. David hired hundreds of musicians and worshipers around the clock to worship God in the, what was known as the tabernacle or the tent of David that was not far from his palace. I'll show you David's palace, by the way, when you come with me. Oh, coming with me you are. There's one side we won't let you look because that's where he saw Bathsheba. No, 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 don't look over there. But we'll show you David's palace. It's being un- uncovered as we speak. And... The worship that David released, I mean, dude, I'm talking about Jesus, Culture Hills, Song, Bethel times 100. The Beeb hadn't even touched this kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, he's reading the Passion Translation. So it's Katy Perry. We have a picture of her with it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but we want them to read the Bible, period, and just get blessed. Yeah. Um, the model of worship that David instituted, God says, I'm gonna restore it. That's amazing that God will restore something that you started and didn't get finished. It's, it's just amazing the, the um connection Almighty God has with the heart of a man. And it's my prayer, God, I want a heart after yours. I want to I want to. Accept criticism with meekness. I want to walk as a leader that draws attention to one, Jesus. I want to model what David modeled, and when he was wrong, he could admit it and repent. David understood grace better than anybody in the Bible. He was victorious in battle, passionate in praise, persecuted by others. He established the capital city of Jerusalem, overcame the Jebusites. You know how he did it? He came up the water shaft. That's the word of God, the water of the word of God. He came up the water shaft. You come up the water shaft. That's how you conquer your strongholds. You take the word of God against the strongholds. He established what's known now as Mount Zion, listed in Hebrews 11 as a faith champion, Jesus is called the root and offspring of David. And finally, uh, Paul's name is mentioned 163 times. That's a lot. But David's name is mentioned 1,127 times in the Bible. There are 54 entire chapters dedicated to David, not counting the 75 Psalms that he wrote. So at that, we'll take a short break. And I want to take you through the five Prophetic seasons of your life. And I hope it'll be good. One or two of them are really good. <laughs> All right, take a quick break. And uh, if you don't mind coming back in just a few minutes, Pastor Jim.
1: All right, see so you guys in a few minutes. So, uh, what do you think? Five minutes? Seven minutes? All right, five minutes, guys. So, see you back in five. All right. Do you remember Zechariah twelve eight? The weakest,
0: the one that just you'd never believe that they'd make it, that weak, frail person is going to rise up and be like David. But what does the rest of the verse say? That the house of David, that is the corporate expression, what will, they, what will we be like together? If one that falls is like David... What will all of us together be like? I didn't say it. God put it in the Bible. They will be like God, like God in the midst. And so are we corporately, the body of Christ. We are the Christ on this planet. Christ has two bodies, one on the throne, one here on earth, you and I. How does it feel to be part of the body of Christ, the Christ expression? I believe I shared this the last time I was here, but actually it was Pickerington. So how many of you were not in any of my meetings uh, two years ago, whenever it was? Oh, okay. Okay. All right, so um, we are the 42nd generation, the 42nd generation. Now, I could move on or I could explain it. Would you like for me to explain? Okay. In Matthew 1, the Bible, the New Testament begins with genealogy, and by the way, and I will do this in Genesis for you in my, in my translation But every genealogy, if you unpack the meaning of the name and write it all together, it's a story. The meaning of the names, if you put them all together like pearls on a a string, it, it is a revelation of Christ and a specific embedded revelation in the genealogy itself. I'll do that for you in Genesis. I did not have time because of Uh, publishing pressures that I I couldn't take the time, but I have it, the genealogy of Matthew. Okay, 14 generations from Abraham. See, in, in the eyes of God, the gospel begins with Abraham, not with Jesus. 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations, David to the captivity In Babylon, 14 generations from the captivity to Christ. 14 times 3 equals 42. I dare you to do what I did. There's only 41 names. There's a missing generation. There's only 41. I wrote it out this way. I wrote it out this way. I had my wife count them. I had my friends count them. There's only 41 I'm looking at the 42nd generation of the genealogy of Christ. We complete the genealogical ladder of Jesus Christ. We are the feet company because the last thing to come forth in birth is the feet. And the Lord will soon crush Satan under our feet. We are the feet company that complete the body of Christ. Shababaranda. I'm just starting. 42 is a very significant number. You cannot see a rainbow except at a 42-degree angle. You'll never see a rainbow except from a 42-degree angle. We are a rainbow company around the throne, but we're not quite ready for that yet. 42 is the number of stops or journeys that Israel made from Egypt to the Promised Land. Book of Numbers, I counted them. There are 42 steps into their full destiny of God's inheritance. 42. How many months did Jesus minister on earth? Three and a half years. Somebody quickly tell me the months. Forty-two. You take his three and a half and our three and a half, you got Daniel's missing week. Beloved, we are going to be the completion of the genealogy of Christ because Christ is now a many-membered body. I'm speaking in spirit. Not. I'm not speaking... Uh, you know, in linear guys, I'm giving you revelation. you receive it in spirit. The words I speak, Jesus said, are spirit. By the way, the chokma, the Hebrew word for wisdom, is found 42 times in the book of Proverbs. And Jesus is lady wisdom that will blow you away. But Jesus is, Proverbs eight, lady wisdom. Jesus is lady wisdom. See, you're thinking in the flesh. You can't, you got to think different. It's the renewing of our minds, right? So The number 42 is a very important number. Is anybody here 42? No, never mind. I don't want to I don't want <clears throat> to we may have to card you cuz you'd look much younger than that. May the blessing of heaven come upon you on this, your 42nd year. 42 is the number of the fullness of Christ coming through His people. 42 is the number of the completion of your inheritance, of receiving the fullness of your destiny. Jesus revealed the Father in 42 months to the world. He saved our soul in 42 months. He completed it, right? What was the last word Jesus spoke on the cross? It's finished, right? Tetelestoi in Greek. You better sit down. Jesus did not speak Greek. On the cross, he did not speak Greek. He already said, which is Aramaic, Hebrew. The last word Jesus spoke was not tetelestoi. It was "kala," which is a homonym. Do you remember last night? Hominem. Or was that this morning? Anyway, <laughs> that shakeology got me going. Kala means finished. But when you come to Israel with me, we'll ask any Hebrew speaker, tell us what Kala means. They will not say finished, even though that's what it does mean. But the predominant meaning of Kala is bride. The last word Jesus spoke, bride. Then He gave birth to her. Blood and water came from His womb. How can He be the everlasting Father and have no kids? The heavenly Eve was born in the wounds of the cross, the wounds of the sight of Jesus. The dove is hidden in the cleft of the rock. So Christ gave birth to the heavenly Eve. And every one of us trace our genealogical root back to the wounds of the cross. You complete the genealogy of Jesus. By the way, (coughs) when you think of Jacob's ladder, it's a DNA strand. And you're the angel that climbs it. You, You are climbing Jacob's ladder. These are not angels from heaven because they ascend and descend. If they were angels from heaven, they would descend and ascend. Am I making sense? The angels that Jacob saw in Genesis 28, they were angels that ascended. They went up and came back with last day strategies, mandates, coals, and scrolls. And Nathanael and those like him will also see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the DNA of Jesus Christ, the strand, the ladder, the stairway. Ah, I like this. You carry like Mary everything she had, you have. Inside of you is the Christ, not waiting in heaven for you to see Him, but now, to enter into the trysting chamber room of delight, right now, you drop into that realm. You come into that, that spirit realm, and you mingle with him. Jesus is in you like a tea bag is in hot water. He's mingling. He's seeping. He's taking you over. He's changing your very, your very substance. He's consuming you because death is always swallowed up in victory, and good always overcomes evil. There's there's a overcoming overwhelmingness of Jesus that when he is there he doesn't sit there idle. <laughs> He's doing his works in you like he did on the earth. Because you're made from the earth, right? Dust. What does the serpent eat? Everything you hold back from God. He was cursed and had to crawl on his belly and eat dust. Anything you withhold from God is food for the devil. The heart becomes the dining room of the devil if you do not fill it with the presence of God. And humanity fed him a lot because he becomes a great dragon in Revelation. So, I'll I'll touch on this kind of I'll weave this in and out, but I want to talk about Goliath, and then I'll give you the five prophetic seasons of your life. Goliath is a very clear picture of the mind of man. The biggest enemy you have, spiritually, is sitting on your shoulders. The human mind that exalts itself, the high thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. The walled city of Jericho is the heart locked into tradition and religion. The mind, the know-it-all mind of man is the walled city of Jericho. By the way, I will show you those walls. You will stand on the fallen walls of Jericho when you come with me. Did I mention I'm going to Israel? CPTisraeltour.com. But you don't want to go. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen is you're like 85 and you go, oh, I never been. I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Israel. And you're going to be on the bus the whole time while we're enjoying. So come now. Come on, bro. Anyway, Goliath and Golgotha come from the same root word. Golgotha is the place of the... Yeah. Until the cross pierces yours, revelation will not enter. The cross must pierce the, the place of the skull. This is where Jesus was crucified. Who put, What put Jesus on the cross but the mind of man. You can't be the Messiah. You said this. You da-da-da-da. So Golgotha and Goliath, both picture the skull. So where did David hit Goliath? Yeah. Is that kind of like where the mark of the beast is? If you'll connect all these dots, you will get something. I found the Antichrist. He's in your chair right now. (laughs) Yeah. The Antichrist. By the way, it's very easy to say the Antichrist. The Greek prefix, uh, the the Greek um, definite article, sorry. The Greek definite article is ho, H-O. It's very easy. Ho is all over the Greek text, uh, the door, the man, the ship. But ho never occurs with Antichrist. Biblically, there is no such thing as the Antichrist. It's a spirit, and there are many Antichrists. That's how John describes it. That's how the Bible describes it. Now, you can get your theology other places, if you will, but it's not in the Bible, guys. There's no such thing as the Antichrist. Well, what about the man of sin standing in the temple? Yeah, the sin of man's been in your temple. (laughs) Standing there trying to be like God, calling the shots, saying you're this, you're that. What about the beast coming out of the earth? Yeah, I just told you, what is man made of? What about the beast coming out of the sea? Yeah, the sea of humanity. There are three levels in Revelation. You have the, the sea, the lowest, the earth, and then the heavens. You have those three realms. When you take my Revelation course, I explain all of that to you. But Golgotha and Goliath, my point is Goliath is such a Intimidating force in the church today. Intimidation is one of the biggest issues you'll face in your life. The devil will always try to intimidate you. Who do you think you are? When David goes out to battle against Goliath, the first thing he faced was Eliab's intimidation. Davy, get back to the sheep, dude. Who told you you could? You're just coming out here to watch the battle. And this big brother of his put him down. David had been put down his whole life, but he rose up. He said, no, I'm here to kill a giant. And this intimidation, you must shake it off in the last days. And don't let the religious crowd, I don't care what collar they have on or title they wear or have, don't. Because you're giant killers. (laughs) Goliath is always head and shoulders above. It's it's towering over. It's I'm educated. You're not. I know Greek and Hebrew. You don't. You know. I'm I'm clergyized and you're not. (laughs) I've been to Bible college. You haven't. Well, who cares? I don't think Jesus went to Bible college. But he would get up before the morning came and spend time with Jesus, with his father. <coughs> so, have uh, <coughs> you ever heard of Joel's army? Yeah, there's two armies in the book of Joel. In chapter one, there's a set of there's an army, and then in chapter two, there's an army, and they are different armies. In chapter one, it's an army of locusts, and there are four levels of locusts. In English, we have Basically, locust, grasshopper, right? But in the Hebrew language, there's multiple words for locusts because they were quite common and they were a scourge in the land. The first Hebrew word is the cutter worm. The cutter worm of, of Joel 1 verse 4. This army of cutter worms, it's, it's an, it cuts off entire parts of the Bible and says it doesn't apply today. It's the cutter worm that wants to cut you off from your calling and your destiny. That's a spirit. The second was the was the uh, crawling locust, which will crawl and hop around, maybe, but it won't let you fly. The next is the swarming locust. That's intimidating when the locust swarm comes but the fourth is it's called in the hebrew it had the nickname of the devourer which rebuke the devourer is speaking about this full-blown full-grown locust horde that strips everything it's called the stripper locust it, it strips all the green greenery of the land any living thing it blacken the sun that is the religious spirit and the four stages as it tries to take root in your heart. Somebody tell me what John the Baptist ate. There's got to be a people that eat your enemies for breakfast. Come on, Shulamites. That we. we We feed and learn and grow and get the nutrients out of warfare. (laughs) Our battles only strengthen us. What we go through, what David experienced with Goliath, it was to strengthen him. It was to prepare him to go up against Saul, which was to prepare him to go up against Absalom, which was to prepare him to rule as the king over a united nation for 40 years. David. He shook off intimidation. You're always acquiescing to the enemy when you are intimidated. It doesn't mean you be rude, you be weird, you know, you tell everybody off all the time. No, that, that's naughty. That's no. Uh uh-uh. uh. You you're not a junior Holy Spirit. You don't have to correct everybody. Some people think that's their calling to make everybody look at the world the way you look at it. That's a vain quest. So intimidation, I think you got it, right? Intimidation is, so when David killed Goliath, what did he cut off? His toes? He cut off his head. The mind, the head, the brain, the... David understood that the principality coming against Israel was intimidation. And a nine-foot Terminator standing head and shoulders for 80 times. He came out twice a day for 40 days. 80 times he stood in front of them and bellowed out, Give me a man, I will fight. And the people of God cowered in fear. If anybody should have fought him, it was Saul because he was a seven-footer head and shoulders above everybody else. He was at least seven foot. I've, there's some pretty tall Israelis. Saul was even bigger. He's the one that should have gone. Remember, he tried to put his armor on Saul, on, on David, and David said, I can't wear this. You can't go out against an enemy and somebody else's anointing. You can't copy somebody else, read their sermon, You know, act like them, dress like them. Back in the vineyard days, we all had our hands in our pocket, you know, well, I I think God might be saying, no, prophesy it, bro. Now everybody wants to sing the same songs, wear the same outfit that so-and-so wears in Reading or whatever. What is that? You can't wear the armor of somebody else because that proves you're you're insecure and still trying to be who you're not you wear what god has called you to wear and i'm not i don't just mean clothing i mean being who god has made you inside out you live from that inner realm outward that's new covenant from the inside out outward in is always religion it's behavior modification it's trying to make you look you know a certain way or preach a certain way or read a certain kind of bible unless it's passion translation So Goliath was an epic turning point in David's life. So let me, let me give you the, uh, yeah, let me give you the, the uh, five prophetic seasons of your life, and they're mirrored in the life of David. Actually, they're five prophetic seasons of David's life that picture your life, I think, in a startling way. First of all, the Bethlehem days, the shepherd of Bethlehem. The first season of David's life was from birth to 15, and he basically was growing up. He was tender. I mean, I I get a picture of a a 12-year-old. You know, I remember when my girls were 12. I mean, they they were the sweetest things in the world. I mean, they still are now that they're 40-something. But I remember when my son was 12. We have have two girls and one boy. Uh, They're so fun. David would always want to go. I named my son David, so it gives you a hint. And and David would would always want to go with me to fill up the car with gas. And, you know, he was just always like my shadow at 12. He just wanted to be with Dad, and I loved that. Now he's married. He doesn't call. (laughs) But anyway, I stalk him on Facebook, so that's okay. (laughs) No, we, we text and talk frequently. But for David to be that that boy growing up, tender, you know, probably learned to play music. He was probably gifted, no doubt, as a young boy. Maybe you have a child that's bent that way, that's gifted, and maybe a little more tender than others uh, around he or her. I see David that way. And he would pluck the harp, and he'd watch over the sheep, and He'd lead them beside these still waters, and you know, it, it, the beautiful time. This was an amazing season of David's life, and I'm sure in your spiritual journey now you have entered into that season where everything's so exciting I and mean, it's new and it's fresh and uh, the the spiritual youthfulness of your life. You're enjoying it. It's likely that David wrote Psalm 19 and Psalm 23 at this stage. He would worship the Creator on the hillside, look at the stars, look at the beauty of of creation, and he'd write about it. He'd sing about it. I bet he composed songs that aren't in the book of Psalms. I know he did because the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have five Psalms of David that uh, at least two of them are are legit. The other three are kind of debatable, but do you know the Dead Sea Scrolls found five more Psalms? It's awesome. He sings in the secret place. He's loved God. He's loving God, and he's being loved by God. So Bethlehem season is a season of prophetic promises. Write that phrase down, prophetic promises. That's when you get promises of your future, that God is going to be with you, and he's going to work out issues that look impossible. And lots of prophecies come to us in this season of our life. And of course, Bethlehem means house of bread, and the Lord feeds us living bread. We get fresh revelation words into our destiny. But we have no clue that the promises come with a cost, that the prophecies come with uh, some fine print. There's always some fine print in your prophetic word. Uh, I loved bringing prophets into our church. We had a pretty large church, and I brought in the best. And uh, my friend Dennis Kramer—I don't know if anybody knows Dennis, but the guy is a machine. Uh, He'll—I say, Denny, come, come and uh, come to our church and call out all of our elders. I won't tell you who they are. You call them out and prophesy over them. He'd do it—boom, boom, boom—and boom. our church would go. Oh. Uh, and he was so accurate, and, and he'd prophesy five, ten minutes over each of them. We, we—I mean, dude, cassette tapes. We would record it and then give it to them, and then they'd write it out, and they'd come back to me, their pastor, and, and, and they'd say, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. i say, did you miss this phrase here about some other things? He's, no, I'm going to. And I had to help them, you know, realize that every prophecy comes with some fine print. You don't realize that in that Bethlehem stage. It's just like, I'm going to be king. I'm going to do this. Yeah, after you grow up a little bit. The second season of David's life and of your life is where you become the worshiper, the minstrel at Gibeah, G-I-B-E-A-H. David, like I mentioned, he was brought into Saul's court. Saul heard about a young boy that when he played the harp, it soothed the spirit. And tormented as he was, he asked his, uh, his guys, go find this guy, David, and bring him in. Now, David was in and out of Saul's court, and he would play and worship and get persecuted and still go back. And it was a time of amazing promotion, but that promotion also came with some persecution, And it came with some opposition. And uh, your promotion is coming. The era of your advancement is about to be released today. But with it comes some tests. You say, I don't like that. Just give me the promotion. Well, God cannot promote you fully until you grow into the calling He's going to give to you. And the best way to be promoted is for your spirit to be full and to grow into the fullness of Christ. And then promotion chases you. Favor will track you down. Uh, Grace and anointing will, will fall upon you when your heart is right with God. Am I speaking the truth? So the inward journey of learning to worship God even with opposition around you. That's where you're at, many of you right now. You're in a family that's kind of messed up. You're in a work situation that's really messed up. And, you know, it looks like nothing's changing. And God is really putting some pressure upon you to make you more like Jesus. I can mark my steps in the kingdom of God, I can mark them by the the humbling of my heart and receiving more of Christ that took me to the next place. It's the humbling of my heart that's hard. But that's the way to favor. That's the path that David leads us into. Guys, all right here? We'll go eat lunch here in a couple hours. This is where David is tested. It's a season of testing through promotion. He faced the lion and the bear. He faced Goliath. Now he has a demonized king. The spirit of the Lord was upon David, but every fresh anointing brings a fresh test. Gibeah means the hill. The hill. Everything is uphill at Gibeah. You ever feel like you're going uphill? My wife had a vision in worship. Of you all swimming upstream, that it wasn't easy. And I think that's the Gibeah season, where you, you know you have uh, promise and, and destiny, you know you have favor, but yet the tests are so many around you. It's like always <laughs> you go through one, only to go through the next, only to go through the next, and nothing seems easy. It's going uphill, it uh, gets worse. Because the third stage is Adullam, the cave stage, where David is an outcast. For seven years, David is driven out of, of Gibeah. He's driven out of Saul's court. And Saul, get a load of this, he hires 3,000 paid assassins to chase David down and kill him. 3,000 Jason borns. 3,000 of them, to go and find David and kill him. Oh, Saul cannot handle one more anointed than he. The Saul leadership thing cannot handle a young anointed vessel rising up underneath him. And that cave of Adullam, David was the true caveman in the Bible. The, that, that season of your life is is. Just full-blown persecution. Your family turns against you. I remember when we took my pregnant wife and two kids to the mission field, our family ganged up against us like you wouldn't believe. I had pastors screaming at me. I mean, these are like godly pastors sticking their finger in my face, how dare you take your wife to the mission field and you take these kids and who do you think you are and you don't know that much Greek and Hebrew and how how do you think you're going to be a Bible translator? And I'm just going, I'm in my 20s going, dude, I mean, chill. God told me. Boom. Well, God's not going to tell you to take your wife when she's pregnant and, and you don't even have enough financial support and, and on and on and on. I mean, Churches and pastors, I'd, I'd try to get into a church to speak and, you know, the missionary, I mean, missionary offering. And, and, and uh, I couldn't because they just didn't believe a punk kid like me that I was going to go and change a tribe. Persecution not easy. If you don't think so, you're not in it. And this cave season of David... It's like you feel like you're everybody's prey, and that's what adullam means, their prey. You become their prey. People turn against you. You don't have a lot of friends that believe in your vision, your calling. Not a lot of support in the things God's calling you to do. You become their prey. Anybody understand that? Anybody connecting with that? Step out and try to do something for God, you'll find out. You'll become their prey. The church machinery may turn on you. So, you better know it's God. Your gift is ignored. Spiritual authorities don't like you. David is tested. For some of you, the cave of Adullam is your job, unfulfilled marriage, a career track that went nowhere, a situation that seems to never get resolved, maybe a health issue that lingers. That can be a cave but God will bring us through these seasons on our way to the throne. And the real making of a man was in that cave. You know, a f- really funny story about Saul. He came out after David, a- and he's chasing David. David says he, he, he was hunted like a partridge out in the desert, like a bird hunted. And I don't think he was just in one cave. I think Dave, David kind of you know, Motel 6 cave, Red Roof Inn cave, and he's in different caves. So he's in this cave. David and his men are in a cave. This is the funniest story in the whole the, the Bible. Saul comes into the cave to go to the bathroom. Number two. He hoists up his robe and does the deal. And David and all the men are in the back of the cave. And David's best bud elbows him and says, kill him. Hands him the sword. Kill him. You can kill the guy that's after you. Do it. David sneaks up. (laughs) And he cuts a piece of the hem of his robe, but it was the signet of the king. It, was, it wasn't just he cut his robe. He cut off the piece of the robe that designated him as king. He cut it off and took it. And Saul went back out. <laughs> and he gets over on the other hill, and David comes out of the stinky cave, and he holds up this piece of the robe I could have killed you, Saul. Why are you chasing me? Don't you realize I love you? And Saul's heart was smitten, and he wept. He said, "David, my son, what have I done?" Only to turn around, and that demon came back on him. And he kept hunting David. You see the character of David. What if you have the opportunity to uncover a sin or, a, or, or to really stick it to somebody that has ruined your life? Would you do it? That's David's heart. He wouldn't do it. The weakest one among us shall be like David. The Adullam season is difficult. But the fourth (coughs) unveils even more of David's heart. It's he's anointed king at Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. But Hebron (coughs) was only where Judah was. So David was anointed king by one-twelfth of Israel. Only one tribe recognized David as king. Eleven tribes said, no, he's an outcast. We're with Saul. You know? We're with Saul. David is wrong. We know he killed a giant and he's anointed and rumor has it he's prophesied to be king. But Saul is our man. But the brothers at Hebron anointed David as king. Now here's the thing that... Uh, and I'm just about done, but the thing that really stands out to me is David went before God, and he said, do you want me to go up to Jerusalem and take over the rest of the tribes? You've anointed me as king of one. Should I now go up to Jerusalem? mean, the fact that David asked, bro, if you got anointed king, you would take your gang, and you would head down there to Jerusalem, and you would strut your stuff. Crown, king, by the way, you guys need to get in line with me. David, God said, not yet. Can you take a not yet from God and still love Him? It's so rare. I know we say, oh, you of course. Let me tell you, in my experience, as I've observed the body of Christ for my walk with Jesus and in my own issues, it's rare that God can say not now and you say yes. Can you love Him in the waiting room as much as you do when your prophecy is fulfilled? If you will love Him where you're at, where you're at will change. It's so important you find in the delay the delight of heaven. And if God's, you know, God's clock, God's hands of the clock move by love, not by time. And therefore, his timing is always perfect because it's love that moved those hands around for your 11th hour victory, for your breakthrough, for whatever it is you're asking God, believing God for. You can know the will of God and miss his timing. Most Christians, when they see the will of God, they'll do it, yet they missed His timing. It's not now. Even Jesus says, I have many things to tell you, but you're not ready to hear it. And inside, the 12 disciples are going, yes, I am. Yes, I am. you got to tell me. I'm ready. What do you mean I'm not ready? I'm ready. I'm always ready to hear whatever you want to say. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus knew the hearts of men. Joseph's story proves that promotion comes when we are ready, when forgiveness is wrapped around our heart, and we don't blame our Saul or our brothers who betrayed us, but we look to God and say, I don't know your timing, but I know your heart. I know you're good to me, and if if you want me to go another year single, I'll, I'll stay single and pure. Because you're good to me, God. I'd rather have a husband or a wife. I'd rather have my spouse. But if you want me to remain single, I will because I love you, God. Your will, not mine. What I delight in is not going to be what drives me. So, Hebron. Eventually, Saul died. And the last stage of David's life, he's the king. He's not a shepherd. He's not the minstrel. He's not the outcast. He's not half king, partial king. Now the other 11 tribes say, David, you're the one. They all rally around him. They throne enthrone him as king in Jerusalem, and it ushered in the golden years of Israel, the greatest years of Israel's history was the 40 years that David, the man after God's heart, sat on the throne and led and governed Israel. And David gave birth to an amazing son. His name was Solomon, who's given for us three books in the Bible, Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. David gave us the book of Psalms. So four-fifths of the poetic books of the Bible were written by David and his son. And the anointing of David's life no doubt spilled over onto Solomon who gave us the sweet Shulamite song that I'm going to talk about tonight a little bit and the the favor of, of heaven that was on Solomon. I believe God, because of David, God gave Solomon what he did. Solomon didn't quite have the strength of character that David had. He ended up with a whole bunch of wives at the end, and it turned his heart from God. But that's the story that I want to leave you with the story of David, the champion, the poet, the warrior, the author, the musician, the mighty champion. He was a Gibor. Hebrew word, if you know Hebrew, Gibor, a mighty man. He was a hero in every sense of the word. He was one of God's dread champions, the mighty ones. You'll meet him one day. He's listed in in the faith chapter as a champion of faith. And the Bible tells us that we're all going to be like him, even the weakest one. And combined, as we come into that house of David realm, the tabernacle of David in these last days, as we step into a new season, a new assignment, and our new identity, we will be like God on this planet. So get off your rapture rug. (laughs) You know, for just like a day, don't think about Antichrist. You know, get more guns, plant a garden, get some seeds, find a cave. Mark of the beast. Dude, the mark, listen, the mark's been on your head a long time. You've been thinking that stuff for a long time. 666 is the number of... Yeah. Last time I checked, you're one of those. A woman is just a man with a womb. Womb man. Am I making sense, boys and girls? So the, the beast nature, eight times in the Bible, the beast is equated to the sin nature. It traces all the way back to Adam. When Paul said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, there weren't lions and bears rolling down the streets. It was the religious spirit. It was the men he fought in Ephesus that wanted to kill him, destroy his message. Uh, Asaph said, I was a brute beast. Psalm 78. He says, when I held my sin to my heart and would not confess, I was like a brute beast before you. Jude speaks of men that are like beasts. So that this beast nature is what we overcome. The seven overcomers of Revelation 2 and 3 are those that overcome that life of the beast. And this is how we overcome. It's by the blood, the spirit, and the life of Christ. I'm crucified. My beast got crucified on the cross. And now I'm robed, crowned, and enthroned with Jesus, a look-alike bride of the Son of God. I carry, like Mary, the Christ divine. I am a member of the 42nd generation, a rainbow around his throne, glory. And I'm going to release an awakening and anointing into every city I go into. And every room I walk into, I want to be the most loving man in that room. That's been my prayer. That in that clumsy, awkward moments, make me bring your heart, Lord, into this situation. I'm not saying I always do it, but that's my prayer. I always pray it. So, I took your rapture and I took your Antichrist. Can, now, you, now you're ready for the unveiling of Christ coming forth in you. The seven seals, seven times in the New Testament were sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have those seven seals in my teaching. Seven bowls. We are bowls that are emptied out. And some of the things that you think are judgments are actually against some of you and some of us inside are the things that are getting judged by the Lord and dealt with by heaven. And the trumpets, bowls, seals, and trumpets always relate to men. We carry that message, the trumpet sound of our word that pierces the hearts of men. His voice is like a trumpet. Revelation 1, that's the key to understanding what the trumpets are. It's the voice of Revelation coming forth through His last day's servants. So the book of Revelation is going to unfold for you. And I'm totally off track, but I just wanted wanted to uh, use up every second of my time. So um, love you guys so very much, and uh, I hope you'll get fascinated with the story of David. I feel prompted this morning as I prayed and studied I felt prompted to write a book. I've got all these notes. I've got probably 100 plus pages of notes about David and Jonathan and the anointing, the three anointings of David and stuff that I I haven't even got into here. I might as well put it in a book. But I love the story of this giant killing man. And I think it's in your history, your future, I should say too, that you're going to kill the giants of intimidation, the things that come against you. I had to. I came from a broken family. I was a drug-busted head. I mean, total trash, total trash. Anybody in this room that knows it, it's my wife. She would have nothing to do with me, even though we went to the same school. We, we were in the same school from first grade on. She stayed as far away from me as she could because she knew I was instrumental in bringing drugs into our community and getting thousands of people into drugs. I said, God, I want ten times, every person I led into darkness, I want ten I want to bring to Christ. I got to lead all my family, her family, and my friends, as many of them in ministry now. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to kill my giants. I'm going to go after them. Of course I'm going to stumble and fall, but I'm going to get back up. You may see me on that fallen place and kick, he's man, I knew he was not going to make it, ha, you watch. You turn your back, I'm going to get back up. I may be missing some teeth, but I'm going to get back up and do what God's called me to do. Can you get the fire of passion in your heart or you want to keep living as a passive believer? You want to keep living in spiritual passivity or will you rise to be a champion? Shake off the upbringing of your household. David had to break through as the runt, the the nobody, probably the illegitimate kid, stepbrother. Nobody believed that he would, of all people, he would be king. Yet there was a heart that was after God. God sees into your heart and He knows your motives and He calls that reality. He calls your desire as fulfillment. If you want Him and love Him, He calls that as success and fruit. Isn't that beautiful? It's like giving. If, even if you want to give, it'll be according to your heart. And God will take what you want to give and say, I'll accept that as $10 billion. There's just something so good, gracious, sweet about God, kind about his heart. Do you love him today? Yeah. We'll come and get a God smack tonight. We're going to do Shunamite lovey dove stuff. And I want to pray over you all tonight, my wife and I, pray and prophesy. She had eight dreams last night. She's going to share. You want to share them tonight, maybe? And we want to save some for tomorrow for the church. Yeah, she'll have eight more tonight. (laughs) Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. I just think about my own life, God. I know I shouldn't be selfish, but... Gosh, what you've done to help me, God. How you picked me up, Lord. I was so hopeless. Rocking out in a rock band, drugged out, hitchhiked. Didn't even know where I was at times. I don't even know how I lived through that, God. And yet you looked into my heart and you said, I, I'm going to grab something in there. I'm going to use it for my kingdom. I'm going to take that wild thing. Come on now, wild thing. I'm going to take that wild thing, and I'm going to use it for my kingdom. Jesus, would you look deep into our hearts? Look past the weird stuff. Look past the, the hiding, the excuses, the insecure stuff. Look into the depths of every heart here and grab that passion that loves you. Intensify it. Let it be our true north. Let it be what stirs us and guides us. Take my life, God. Say those words. Take my life, God. And use me for your glory. Lord, I pray that you will make us Radical lovers of Jesus, that we will love him tenderly, compassionately, and will make his love known to others. Get the men, God, go after the men. So, so blessed to see the guys here. I think it's almost 50-50. That hardly ever happens. Thank you, God, for the wild men. Inflame them. Let them become so radical for you, God, in a holy way. The character and integrity and passion will rise until the women get scared. Yeah. Help us to out love the women. Ah, Teach them how to love from a male heart on fire for God. Make us like David. And Lord, for the women, bless them. We knock intimidation out of you. In Jesus' name, you are wild. You got a ways to catch up with me, but you're wild. And Lord, I pray for the gals, our sisters, our precious women of God, that you'll continue to inflame their heart, Lord, like Mary of Bethany, that there's no sacrifice, there's no no string attached, God. There's no limit to their devotion. So bless us, men and women, as sons and daughters of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey, if we could have the ushers come forward, we'd love to just uh, bless Brian and take up an offering. And um, we've also got uh, partner's lunch afterwards. And so if you sign up for that, it will be downstairs. And so take a left out here, you'll see the only door that's not a bathroom. So if you open the door and it's not leading downstairs and there's toilets in it, there's, it's a different door. So. But yeah, if we could have our ushers come forward, you can give by um there's the different ways cash check, text to give um, Zion app uh, the Zion app if you scroll down you'll see uh it'll have a Brian Simmons as one of the categories, and so you can give towards that. You can make the checks out design Christian Fellowship, but count this all separate for Brian. So ushers go for it and usherettes. I want to be sensitive to that. thank you yeah. <laughs> Well, 6 o'clock tonight, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, 5 o'clock tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock Monday, so my goodness gracious, come get washed in the word, bring some people, drag some people, bribe some people, whatever it takes, just encourage you guys to, uh, yeah,